0: The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Today we'll be reading Ephesians chapter 1 in connection with the doctrine of election, the doctrine of God's choosing His people. You'll be able to find that on page 1342 of your pew Bible. Paul an Apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in a beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory." in the saints and what is, in, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So far the word of God. Now for those of you who are a bit more familiar with it, you'll note that he makes several references here to God's choosing, to election. But... This afternoon, we'll also take a moment to glance through the summary of this doctrine, the summary of this doctrine, as we find it in the Canons of Dort, Chapter 1, Article 7. You'll be able to find that on page 566 of your book of praise. Chapter 1, Article 7, Election Defined. Election. "...is the unchangeable purpose of God, whereby, before the foundation of the world, out of the whole human race, which had fallen by its own fault, out of its original integrity into sin and perdition, He has, according to the sovereign good pleasure of His will, out of mere grace, chosen in Christ to salvation a definite number of specific persons, neither better nor more worthy than others, but involved together with them in a common misery." He has also from eternity appointed Christ to be the mediator and head of all the elect and the foundation of salvation. And thus he decreed to give to Christ those who were to be saved and effectually to call and draw them into his communion through his word and spirit. He decreed to give them true faith in him, to justify them, to sanctify them, and after having powerfully kept them in the fellowship of his Son, finally to glorify them for the demonstration of his mercy and the praise of the riches of his glorious grace. As it is written, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 6. And elsewhere, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8, verse 30. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, did you know that Jesus talked about election? For those who are not familiar with election, let me explain. Election, as we read in the Canons of Dort, article 1, or chapter 1, article 7, is the unchangeable purpose of God whereby he has, according to the sovereign good pleasure of his will, out of mere grace, chosen in Christ to salvation a definite number of specific Persons. Basically, it's that God chooses people from the world to be saved. Every point of our salvation is due to God alone. It comes to us out of His mercy. And He chooses specific people to work in them, to work those aspects of salvation. Do you believe that every single part of your salvation is due to God and God alone? Do you believe that it's Him that works everything in us from start to finish? Then, if you do believe that, you must necessarily believe in election. Because if you believe that God does everything from start to finish, and He chooses specific people in which to do everything from start to finish. That's election. That's Him choosing people. In one of His sermons, one that's not quite as famous as the Sermon on the Mount, but still a significant one, Jesus actually spoke about this doctrine of election. And you can find this in His sermon in John 6. In this passage, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000 But as is usual for him, Jesus accompanies his works with preaching. He has just given them physical food, and now he challenges them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. When he's asked what he's talking about, he clarifies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus had just said that these Jews had come to him because they were hoping for a meal. Jesus, in turn, told them where they could find true fulfillment and satisfaction. But then he goes and says something That turns everything completely on its head. He says in John 6, verse 44, John 6, the same chapter, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. For those of you who are in my catechism class, that's probably a pretty familiar one to you. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Only by the drawing of the Father can anyone come to Jesus. And that only happens if the Father chooses to draw him. That's essentially what election is talking about. It's simply a description of who, how, and why God chooses to bring people to Jesus. And through Jesus brings them into a right relationship with him. Now, as we've finished our series on the Lord's Prayer, we're now going to take some time to work through the five articles against the remonstrance, commonly known as the five points of Calvinism, beginning with this one, the divine decree of unconditional election. And we'll look at it under three points. First, those whom God chooses. Second, those whom God passes over. And third, the fruits of this decree. Now you just heard from John 6 verse 44 how Jesus said that no one can come to Him unless the Father draws Him. In our passage a moment ago, Ephesians 1, you've seen similar language being used. We read in the verses 3 to 6. to the praise of the glory of grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. We see two references here. First, God chose His people in Christ before the foundation of the world. And second, God predestined, meaning He picked out these people's destination, their end point, He predestined them to be adopted as sons and daughters. But the question arises, who are these special people? What makes them so special that God would pick them out of the whole human race, even before he decided to create the world? What makes them so privileged that he would already pick them out to be adopted as sons, even though he knew they would be among those who had fallen into sin? Yes, God knew about the fall into sin beforehand as well. That's a fair question to ask. The first question then would be, is it what they do that sets them apart? Is it good works? We can see a brief answer to that already in two passages that should be familiar to most of us who have grown up in a Reformed tradition. Ephesians 2 verse 1 you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Dead people are dead across the board. If apart from Christ their works were dead and dead people are all equal, then there's nothing about their works that sets them apart. That's pretty basic. Everyone apart from Christ is equal in their fallenness, in their deadness. But it goes beyond that. Let's take a look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 to 9 for a moment. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 to 9. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 to 9. You'll be able to find that on page 1366. And I want you to pay special attention to verse 9 here. Paul is writing to Timothy, someone who looks up to him, who's needing advice from him. And after his uh, introduction, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the, power, uh, for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. <laughs> Pay attention here. Not according to our works, but according to... His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So, question of works. Not only do our works not count for anything when it comes to saving his people, or God choosing to call those who believed with holy calling, but everything is according to God's purpose and God's grace. It's all based on his sovereign good pleasure. Nothing we have done or can do can earn us into the position of God's good favor, to swing his arm into choosing us. Okay, fair enough, you might say. But what about God looking ahead in history on the basis of faith? I've heard that one before. Doesn't God look down the halls of time and see if you'll believe? And base his choosing on that? Isn't my faith something that I bring to the table? It's by faith you have been saved, right? No. You have been saved by faith. But it's not on the basis of the faith that you have been saved. And that's something to be very thankful for. Let me explain Mankind is living in rebellion to God. Their natural state is a state of constant attempts to overthrow God in the various corners of their lives. To knock Him off the throne and replace Him with a God of money, a God of lust, a God of the pursuit of happiness, or the God of self. That is the state in which mankind would remain If it were not for the grace of God that gets in the way and hauls us out of that rut that we've worked ourselves into, God teaches us, and we know from experience, that it's a rut that we would cheerfully stay in if it were up to us, no matter how much grief it brings us. If we had to bring faith as our contribution to God choosing us, we'd be hopelessly lost. Natural man is hooked on sin like a long-term junkie on cocaine. Ever meet someone like that? Past caring about the damage that the drug actually does to them? Past caring about the damage that it does to their families? Does to their lives? Mankind is past caring about what sin does. No matter what damage it does. Without outside intervention, we're not going to even want To leave our sin behind. Because we love it. We crave it. It satisfies our hunger, our desire for the short term. It gives us a thrill and a buzz. And we wouldn't even climb out of the gutter if we could. But God intervenes. It's by grace that you have been saved. By God's undeserved mercy that we've been saved. Through faith. And this faith, even this faith, is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's this, brothers and sisters, that can actually bring us thankfulness, bring us joy. That it doesn't rely on us, but it's God who works this in us. And it's this that can actually be a driving force in our evangelism, removing our fear. Because when we go into the world, we know that it doesn't rely on us alone. We know that God has His own out there, whom He will work in by the power of His Spirit to draw nearer to Him. Because he has chosen to do so since before the foundations of the earth were created. What more reason do we need to spread the gospel to those who are around us? The fields are white for harvest. They are just waiting for the workers to enter and bring them in. And oh, oh, how thankful we can be that God grants us both faith and perseverance. As we read in Acts 13, verse 48, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, God granted them that faith that was necessary. God blessed them with a desire to seek Him, to take hold of Him, to pursue Him. He's the fountain from whom everything that we have springs forth. We owe it all to Him. As an anonymous hymn writer wrote in the hymn, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew back in 1878 I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me it was not I that found O Savior true no, I was found of thee but what about those who do not believe we do need to deal with this question for a moment we'll deal with it briefly Remember what we said about our natural state. Mankind is hostile to God. We're steeped in sin that we plunged ourselves into of our own accord. And we refuse to leave it of our own accord. Natural man is happier dead in his sin. And it's only by God's gracious intervention that anyone believes at all. You see, some people have this picture of a cloud of people who are neutral for the most part, and God decides to send some of them to heaven and other ones down to hell. But that's not the picture that God gives us at all. Mankind is in full-blown rebellion. You know how angry you get when people deliberately provoke you. By all rights, all mankind deserves death before God. But God, in His grace, chooses to overlook His anger towards some whom He chooses because of Christ, according to His sovereign good pleasure. He chooses to grant some faith. He gives them good works to do. He leads them along the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. But he allows everyone else, those whom he has not chosen, to remain in their own wickedness, to remain in their rebellion, where they would rather stay than bring glory to God. Because that's what it is when you don't give the glory to God, who gives you life, who gives you breath, who gives you every moment of every day, who keeps the synapses in your brain firing who allows you to see the beautiful glory of his creation. Look out a window, you see the snow? That's all a gift from him. And it's sheer ungratefulness to reject him. It's only by his gracious intervention that anyone is lifted out of this abyss at all. Brothers and sisters, we should be stunned, we should be awestruck that God in his sovereign good pleasure should choose to love anyone at all. Now, there's some people who are displeased at that. They say, God, it's not fair of you to act like this. It's wrong. If I were you, I would save everyone. Brother, sister, if this is you, ask yourself this question. Who am I to judge God? This God who out of his sovereign grace chose to pluck me from the mire and set me free. Who am I to challenge him and tell him that his will is not good? That his will is not right? That his will is unjust? Because that's what you're saying when you challenge God in this way. You're putting him on trial. And you're finding him guilty. The apostle Paul has a bit to say about this. He talks in detail about election in Romans 9. And he says in Romans 9 verse 14 and following. And you can make a note if you're writing notes. Romans 9 verse 14 and following. This is an important one. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. It's God's prerogative to choose whom to save. It's not the person who wills, it's not the person who runs, but God himself who chooses whether he will show mercy or not. It's like the landowner. You have Jesus telling the parable of the landowner who gives out denarius for a day's wages to people who had only done a fraction of a day's work. And the people who had done a full day's work, they start to grumble. Grumble. And he says to them, who are you to judge me for my generosity? It's God's right to leave everybody where they remain. Are we going to judge him for his generosity, for taking some? Paul continues in verse 20 of this passage, verse 20 of Romans 9, but indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Who are you to answer back to God? Will the thing... Formed, say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy whom he had prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom He called, not of Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. What if God chooses to display His justice through some people on this earth to more fully highlight and to more starkly contrast the mercy that He shows to those whom He has called, both among the Jews and the Gentiles? It's His right. It's His prerogative. And we, says God through the Apostle Paul, have no right to challenge him in that. The Canons of Dort says it well in chapter 1, article 18. To those who complain about this grace of undeserved election and the severity of righteous reprobation, we reply with this word of the Apostle. But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Romans 9 verse 20. And with the word of our Savior, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Matthew 20 verse 18. We, however, with reverent adoration of these mysteries, exclaim with the Apostle, O oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable His judgments, and His paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Romans 11, 33 to 36. What undeserved mercy God shows us, brothers and sisters. What undeserved mercy He shows us. Rather than protesting, let us stand in awe of this God who through Jesus Christ shows us such mercy. As our anonymous friend continues in awe, Thou didst reach forth thy hand and mine and fold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea. T'was not so much that I on thee took hold as thou, dear Lord, on me. Now often the reason for this line of questioning is because people are afraid. This line of questioning comes because people are afraid. The fact that they ask, why doesn't God save everybody? Perhaps you're unsure that you've been shown this mercy. How can you be sure? How do you know that God in His sovereign good pleasure hasn't passed over you? Brothers and sisters, it's at this point that we need to recognize two things. First, we need to recognize the purpose of this doctrine of election, this teaching that God reveals to us in His Word. And then we need to recognize the proofs of this election. The purpose. The purpose of election is this, to grant people fear, uh, to grant people who fear their own waywardness, people who fear their own wandering hearts, and rightly so, Because Proverbs says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can stand? Who can know it? It's the grand people who fear their own waywardness, the knowledge that we have a God who does not leave us on our own. We have a God who, for reasons unfathomable to us, has chosen to love us. And so he grants us everything we need for our salvation. He doesn't give us just give us Jesus Christ to justify us, declare us righteous one time and then leave us to find our own way after that. And isn't that a common fear? That God who has chosen us leaves it for us to finish? He leaves it up to us that we might somehow slip up and fall out of God's good graces? But God, knowing our weakness, our fearful and trembling hearts, gives us this word from Philippians 1 verse 6, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. The purpose of this doctrine, this teaching, is to show us that God doesn't do half measures. In the famous poem, Footprints, we get this image, and it's actually a very beautiful image. But we get this image of someone's life described as two sets of footprints walking side by side down the beach. In the most difficult parts of it, there are only one set of footprints. In this poem, the person asks God, These were the hardest parts of my life. Why would you leave me? And he says, I didn't leave you there. It was there that I carried you. But God does so much more than that. God begins a good work in us and he carries it to completion. He bears our sorrows and our iniquities. He doesn't just carry us through the tough times of life. God carries us through all of life. That is the purpose of election, the purpose of this teaching. It's placed in scripture to be a supreme comfort to us so that we can know with assurance that God will not abandon us, that he'll give us everything we need for our salvation. And so we should not inquisitively try to pry into the mind of God. We shouldn't seize this doctrine and whip up fear in our own hearts, asking ourselves, thinking, what if this person or that person is not elect? It should also not lead us to a constant doubting of God throughout our lives, that He might somehow stop being faithful to us simply because we're not part of the elect. Rather, it's there for us to find a deep-rooted comfort in God who is the anchor for our souls. Hebrews 6, verse 19. But that should not lead us to think that there is no possible way of knowing that God in His sovereign good pleasure chooses to show you mercy. And here, too, we can find assurance. God, in His sovereign good pleasure, has chosen to grant His assurance to His people as well. He allows believers to observe in themselves with spiritual joy and holy delight the unfailing fruits of election pointed out in the Word of God. And what are those fruits? John Calvin puts it in this way the way to know that God elected us is by believing in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. The Canons of Dort expands on this. Those fruits are true faith in Christ, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for our sins, and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And the beauty of these fruits is that Like all fruits, they can be cultivated. The more we seek after our Savior, the more we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, that love letter from heaven, the more we return to our God in prayer, pouring our hearts out to Him in repentance, in faith, in expressing our love for Him, our delight in Him, and our joy at being with Him, the more we, as fruit-bearing branches, will blossom and grow the more we seek to live our lives in response to the promise of the gospel, the more assurance we're granted. And the fact that God gives us this as his gift ought to be of incredible value to us. Canons of Dort also talks about this. There's so much good stuff in the Canons of Dort. I recommend that you read through it sometime. It says... The awareness and assurance of this election provide the children of God with greater reason for daily humbling themselves before God, for adoring the depth of His mercies, for cleansing themselves, and for fervently loving Him in turn, who first and greatly loved them. Is this a reason to become lax? Of course not. Those who rashly presume that they have the grace of election and are idle and careless are walking a very fine line. They're presuming on God's grace. But rather, brothers and sisters, let the fact that this assurance is readily available to you be the spur that drives you on to seek Jesus, to pursue a deeper and a more fulfilling relationship with God. And for those of you who do not know the Lord, this truth is there for you as well. Put your faith in Christ and pursue that assurance that God gives. And He'll grant it to you. Each and every one of you here today can leave here and grow to receive that same great, deep and eternal comfort. To know that Even before I took hold of my God, the same God took hold of me. As our anonymous friend from 1878 concludes, I find, I walk, I love, but all the whole of love is but my answer, Lord, to thee. For thou wert long beforehand with my soul. Always thou lovest me. Amen.